Hi everyone, Terry Welbrock, host of the Healing Place podcast. Just a quick little message before today's interview. Wonderful conversation coming up. Um, just wanted to talk again about the hiatus for March. Even though I only put out, I think, one episode, maybe two, um, everyone still continued to tune in. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Big hugs to all of you who are fans of the show and uh, listening in. I, I really do appreciate it. And thanks for inviting others to join uh, and listen. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, my mom, for those who haven't listened to previous episodes and are just tuning, tuning into this one, uh, my mom passed away on my birthday, March 14th. Uh, and I think I talked about it last week in last week's episode, but I'm going to talk about it again because it was so powerful. Um, my sister had run to her place, which was close by the hospice facility where my mom had been for a few weeks. And uh, I had been sleeping on the couch bedside for 12 nights and staying with her around the clock. Uh, my sister had to work, and so she would run to work, but then she'd come in the evenings and we'd hang out and laugh and play cards and sing songs to our mom. And as she started to fade into uh, no longer being conscious, um, we know she was still listening and listening to us laugh because she'd, she'd flutter her eyes and make movements and um, would squeeze our hands when we would talk to her. So my sister had run home to get my birthday gift and a happy birthday banner. And within 20 seconds of Katie walking back into uh, the hospice room, my mom passed, but it was those last moments that will stick with me forever. And I think I want to share with you what I um, said for her eulogy. Uh, I said it from the heart, but then someone asked me that one of her friends that uh, was struggling with with her hearing asked me if I would type it up. So I typed it up as best I could from memory. So I'm going to share that with you in just a second. But what I wanted to share before I share that is my mom's final smile. So she hadn't opened her eyes. She hadn't communicated with words uh, in four days, I think. It was, it was a blur, but it was at least four days. And when my sister walked back in the room and started to hang up the happy birthday banner, uh, I turned around because mom took a huge breath in and Katie stopped and we were staring at her and this smile lit up, not just her face, her entire being. And even though she wasn't moving, it was as if I could see her arms outstretched to whoever was there waiting for her. And then she released her breath and she was gone. And so to me, I think that to me just was so powerful and, and filled with incredible hope that uh, in those final moments that we can be greeted by such joy and peace and to just bring out this smile of 
just pure radiance. Um, again, what a gift for my mom. Um, and to know that she passed with that smile on her face. And for us to be there with her and witness to it. Um, just, a, just a beautiful transition. So, um, all right. Let me read you what I wrote for her eulogy. Here's the eulogy that I wrote. For those who don't know me, I am Joanne's oldest daughter, Terry. I could stand up here and talk to you about things you probably already know about Joanne. How she was a phenomenal cook who loved making vats of delicious soup for her friends and neighbors. And how she would cater right-to-life banquets, chopping up vegetables with my dad and sister in their tiny little apartment kitchen. Or tell you about her generosity, the beautiful way she made others feel valued and loved. My sister and I had bought her a red wool coat for Christmas one year, back in our early 20s. I noticed a few months later that she was wearing her old, tattered coat, so I asked her, Mom, where's your new coat? She then explained, Well, I was coming out of the Mount Washington Library, and I saw a young girl, a teenager, waiting at the bus stop, and she was shivering. So I asked her, Where's your coat? And she responded, I don't have a coat. So I gave her mine. My response was, Mom, I can't believe you gave your coat away. I wasn't quite ready for the lesson she was teaching me at the time, and that even when you don't have much yourself, you can find joy in giving to others. She had a smile that could light up a room and didn't know a stranger. She made everyone feel valued and seen. Her smile was contagious. Then there's, there's her beautiful grandkids and great-grandkids. I'm sure if you've ever been to her apartment, she's shown you the photos and told you all about those nine kiddos, repeatedly. Oh, and those jokes. I've heard the same joke 2,000 times and still can't remember the punchlines. She was renowned for her jokes. Even Father King, upon giving her the last rite, said, I fully expected you to sit up and tell me a joke, Joanne. Mom had not been conscious for a few days at that point. But I actually want to talk to you about some things you might not know about my mom. I host an international podcast on hope and healing, now in 125 countries around the world and in the top 2% globally. My mom joined me as a guest on the show twice. She talked about her struggles, addiction, our codependent relationship, the crosses she carried. She had said to me, Terry, we need to talk about this so we can help others heal. My mom gave up drinking in her early 80s, and it was a daily struggle for her over those two and a half years she lived sober. She was my hero, and I talked often on my show about the courage and strength it took for her to return to her darkness in order to start healing her childhood wounds. She and I worked together on healing our own mother-daughter relationship and blossomed a beautiful friendship in the process. I always thought it was my grandma Kitty who taught me about resilience. In hindsight, I can see it was my mom who taught me so much about never giving up, how to stand back up no matter how many times life knocks you down, to face life with an empowering faith, to approach it with all with feistiness, grit, and determination, and to do it all with love and joy in your heart. On March 14th, my birthday, my mom left this life. My sister had run home to retrieve my birthday gift and a happy birthday banner. She said, call me if anything changes and I'll turn around. Mom's breathing had been shallow for days and we were starting to see a shift. After Katie left, the hospice chaplain, Anthony, came into our room. 
and offered to say a prayer for Mom. I stood to one side of the bed, and he was on the other. He placed his hand on Mom's head and said a beautiful prayer for her as tears fell from my eyes. Within moments of him leaving the room, my sister returned. She handed me my gift, then started to hang the banner over Mom's head. She had attached the happy part and had walked around the bed to hang the other half, while I had turned to place my gift on the dresser behind me. Suddenly, we both froze and turned to look at Mom, who had taken an enormous breath in. I pointed at her mom and exclaimed, She's smiling! She's smiling! Her face was lit up with the most radiant smile, and even though she was not physically moving and had not been conscious for several days, it was as if I could see her arms outstretched, her smile beaming with a look of, Oh, there you are! And I'm not sure if she saw my dad, an angel, heaven's gates, or Jesus himself, but she was witnessing something glorious. Later that evening, I said to her in prayer, Mom, I'll give you dying on my birthday, because that was the most magnificent gift you ever could have given me, and it will forever live in my heart and soul. Katie had dropped the banner, and it left the word happy dangling over our mom's head. I want to end with a joke from my mom for all of you. When I flew in from South Carolina on March 2nd and was sitting alone with my mom, I asked her, do you have any message you want to share with everyone? As I held my phone up to record her. She said, I do. Then she proceeded to tell me a joke for all of you. Terry, I am not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Then she giggled that adorable laugh of hers. I love you, Mom. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and very excited to have with me today Adam Sharon. And he has studied and worked in the field of Chinese medicine for, I think, like 20 plus years is what we had conversed about. But I love it that he has a focus on releasing the binds of trauma. Um, as a quick reminder, before I officially welcome Adam, this Healers of Hilton Head special series is focusing on those who work in the healing arena and offer guidance in the healing arena uh, in the low country, Hilton Head, Bluffton, Beaufort area. Um, but even if you're listening wherever you are in the world, um, New Zealand or Germany or Japan, um, look within your own communities and you will find an amazing collection of healers, of those offering healing resources. Um, yeah, so even in this tiny little low country area, oh my gosh, there's just so many beautiful souls doing incredible work. So with that said, welcome, Adam. Hi, nice to be here with you. Yes, <laughs> yes. forward to that. Well, we just had a little chat beforehand and I should have hit record for all the awesome stuff we talked about. <laughs> so yeah. Hindsight, so sure. Talk to me about, well, one, how you got into uh, Chinese medicine. I'm fascinated by it. And I just want to say, I haven't had anybody on here talking about it. Sure. Well, um, my relationship with Chinese medicine goes back uh, a little over 20 years. And it's, you know, it's definitely, um, you know, it's, it's been, and it is one of the most wonderful relationships in my life, you know, very, very fortunate to have crossed paths with it um let's see in a, around 2001 
it's funny, you know, I, you know, it kind of, I'll never forget the way it kind of hit me. I was, I'm from New York, the New York city kind of suburban area. I was born in New York city and then, and then raised a little bit North of that. And around 2001, I was hanging out in New York and, you know, I was just, I was really young and, uh, kind of exploring different things, not really ready to think about like a career yet. You know, I was doing little temp jobs and running a little business and, and just kind of enjoying myself and testing the waters and kind of out of nowhere, I found myself, uh, like over the course of like a day or two, just all of a sudden very interested to reach out and, and get an acupuncture session. And I don't really know what spurred it on. It wasn't that, um, you know, it was, I wasn't in pain, <clears throat> pardon me, or, uh, it wasn't like, you know, I've been getting horrible migraine headaches and someone recommended acupuncture. It was just, it, there wasn't really anything. I mean, I, you know, health was fine. Everything was okay. It was just all of a sudden this curious drive. So I made a few phone calls and I found this wonderful practitioner we've actually been friends ever since. And I went and I said, Hey, you know, first time, can we, can we do something? And she invited me in and, you know, I remember feeling, oh, God, this is interesting. We did, you know, she did the intake. She looked at my tongue and she felt my pulses and the things that she said were the first, you know, it, th that first indication that, wow, this is a different paradigm completely. Because I've never quite gone to a, a Western trained doctor and, you know, had them say these things. Of course, it wasn't their language to speak. But, um, you know, you, you know, walk into the doctor and, and you know, they, they you know, if they're going to, look you know, say, ah, they'll look at your tongue or they'll whatever they might, you know, they might feel your your pulse rate or stuff like that. But I could tell that when she was doing her traditional diagnostics, uh, I could just sense that she was, she was looking for different pieces of information, you know, um, <laughs> and she was finding them. And so she said, okay, all right, you know, we could work on this over here or, you know, th this, this isn't flowing so well, we could work on, you know, and I started, it became very clear that the standard or the, you know, the, the way that this information was interpreted, the standard of health was different because you'll walk into a doctor's office and they'll be like, you know, I've seemed fine to me. Everything's okay. All the blood work comes back normal and your physical exam checked out and you're, you know, you're good. You're, you're healthy. And they'll slap a label of healthy on you. And how often does it happen where people will go into a, a, you know, a conventional doctor's office and they'll leave with that you know, everything's fine. I don't see anything wrong with you. You know, you're perfectly healthy and they know that they're not. Right. And they know that there's something wrong. They know they don't feel well, but because the diagnostics and everything checks out within that paradigm, they're told by an authority figure, you know, a medical authority that they're okay. And, you know, in, you know, in a, that can be really, really hurtful sometimes and very dismissive, especially when you know, you're not well, well, yeah, and because you start to say, oh, it's all in my head. You Right. And and sometimes, and, you know, you hear stories where someone said, oh, you know, it's all in your head or it's just stress. You know, and then we have this deeper and more intimate relationship with these aspects of our being. And we know that's not, we, we know that that's not exactly what's going on. Um, so <clears throat> it was a very interesting 
session, you know, with, with this acupuncturist, you know, back in 2001, where I left going, okay, you know, she wasn't calling me sick, but maybe I'm not as totally healthy as I think I am, you know, or, um, maybe there's some cool stuff to work on. And if we worked on it through this different kind of paradigm, maybe I might feel even better than I kind of currently feel. So that was the, it was that initial session, you know, those initial sessions, that was what opened me up to Chinese medicine as a completely different, you know, health and wellness and medical paradigm. Um, it took a couple of years. It took a few more years. She said at one point when I expressed to her that I was curious in acupuncture, she sent me home with a couple of needles. I'll never forget this. You know, she's like, look, you know, I'm not going to do this for everyone, but here, go home and take a couple of needles and just practice putting them in your leg and, you know, report back to me next week. So here I was untrained, didn't really know. And she kind of gave me a, a rough idea of where they're supposed to go and how. And I remember going home and just sitting outside, tapping needles into my skin, you know. Um, but, you know, it was a it was an initial foray into the art and craft of it all. Yeah, it was fun. Beautiful. Yeah, right. And now did you end up opening like your own acupuncture studio and in, in pursuing it on a, you know, a path? I did. Uh it took a few years and I kind of was comfortable doing a lot of independent study for about three years. Like, you know, I would just kind of surround myself with a bunch of, um, books, you know, classic books that we read here in the West to kind of start to get familiar with the language yin and yang. You know, it's, um, you know, of course you read, you start off reading books by other Westerners, right? I mean, you know, Westerners who have then translated the language of Chinese medicine into English and have taken these concepts, yin and yang and the five elements and these, you know, different things like heat and, you know, yin deficiency and uh, chi and blood and these things, you know, these are concepts first and foremost, right? And, um, and so, you know, well, you know, conceptually is how we kind of begin to start relating to them, you know, they, we, you know, you discover event, you know, very soon, hopefully thereafter that they are obviously much more than concepts. They are the actual manifestations and expressions of the body through that paradigm, chi and blood and yin and yang and, and all these things, you know, but, um, I started reading about it and spending some time studying it all. And then in 2004, by that point, I was ready to, to enter a, uh, kind of more formal program. So I ended up going to a well-known school in New York City and started on the path of, you know, um, getting the acupuncture degree, you know, kind of matriculating, so to speak. Um, and, you know, by that point, I was ready to do it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> once you take the step and enroll in school, you know, then, wow, you know, then obviously, you know, it's, it's quite a dramatic shift from a kind of an independent, very loose self-study to like, all right you know, um, now you've got three hours of, you know, <laughs> yin and yang class from, you know, nine to 12, five days a week. And you, and you're in school for several years. And, um, as you advance through the ranks and everything, um, you know, you start working in the student clinic, right. And, you know, by the time 
you're done. As they say, there's a, there's a popular phrase, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's only, it's when you graduate from acupuncture school that that's when the real education begins, you know, right. But, uh, but by the time you graduate, you're definitely ready to kind of hang your shingle up and start doing your work there in the world. So, <laughs> so for many years, that's what I did. Yeah. Wonderful. Now, I think in one of our conversations we had that you you had studied under a Taoist priest. Is that correct? Yes. Um, Chinese medicine education in the West is an interesting topic in and of itself. Because, um, you know, Chinese medicine dates back like prehistorically, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's all, it's really hard to almost relate with how, you know, old it goes back. I mean, even just Chinese culture and Chinese civilization. I mean, it's, you know, there are cultures that have existed that have come and gone here, you know, uh, in the world, you know, that, that, that are not intact really anymore. You know, I think about, you know, the Aztec culture, the Mayan culture, or even like, you know, uh, Celtic culture, you know, uh, you know, over in, in the British Isles and stuff like that. You know, these cultures have kind of seen their, you know, their ascendancy. You know, you think of like Rome, you know, like it was a time when it, you know, that was it in terms, you know, on the world stage, but it's not like that anymore. So Chinese culture is kind of interesting because, you know, they have been around for uh, an incredibly long time you know, as, as, you know, we understand, I mean, our, our, you know, United States, like, you know, we're just like on the cusp of 250 years old, right. Or whatever it is. Um, as a, a, um, as a culture, right. You know, like, or whatever it is, I mean, you know, 1776 and, um, but like you go back into Chinese history and um, it goes back, you know, well, you know, before things were documented and, and, you know, so there's this idea that Chinese medicine probably goes back into shamanic times, you know, well, before it was ever codified and before it was ever, um, you know, things were ever written down. So you have this history. And then at one point, uh, you had this, um, religion Taoism, right? And, um, and then, you know, and, and that took a while to start to formulate. And so, uh, eventually the point that I'm getting at is that the, the Chinese medicine that we are taught here in the West today is a very modernized codified, uh, version of it. Because in other words, when you have a medicine that's that old, um, and that spans across, you know, just really millennia. Right. I mean, it just goes across thousands and thousands of years. That's not something that can be neatly contained. Right. Or, you know, neatly like I'm like, oh, you know, this is what it is. You think about our mess, our Western medicine. I mean, it changes now every five to 10 years with some new drug development, some new technological advancement, some new discovery of some new part of the body based on, you know, new genetic testing or a new scan or something like that. It's very technologically driven. So Chinese medicine is not that. It's philosophically driven, right? So 
the Chinese medicine that is mostly available to Westerners, you know, it, you know, here in, in America and in, let's say, you know, Europe and stuff like that stems from something called TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. And that is something that is a codified, systematized uh, version of the medicine that really kind of came about uh, in, during the communist revolution in China. And, you know, um, it's, you know, it gets kind of political where like uh, the, um, the China, you know, the communist Chinese, uh, you know, uh, you know, ruling uh, government wanted to, kind, they wanted to take the medicine and do something with it where it could almost be like exported, right? Where it could be something where, um, you know, like Western medicine, you can go into another country, you know, you can, it can, you can start to almost like, you know, exchange it. It becomes something. And they wanted, you know, there was a push to make uh, uh, the, you know, the country more literate. They want, you know, they wanted to kind of make it more forward moving and thinking and everything like that. So they took a lot of the, the main medical concepts and that's what they kind of devised. And, the, you know, the, and then they started the, the teaching colleges in Beijing and, you know, it became something very specific. Whereas for thousands and thousands of years, it was not that it was, it was apprenticeships. You know, you would study with your father who had studied with his father who had studied with their, you know, like lineages of, of people. And, you know, they were different things, different medicines, versions of it would be practiced in different regions. They practiced different herbal medicine in the South than they did in the North and over in the mountains. So they, you know, so what we had available to us in the West is something, you know, it has, you know, there, you know, we don't do apprenticeships here anymore. So you go to a school and you learn the stuff that they set you up to learn. And that comes from modern China. I was lucky to cross paths with uh, uh, an individual, you know, wonderful guy, wonderful teacher who came from a religious Taoist lineage that goes back about 2,500 years to um, Huashan, which Huashan, Hua Mountain, this uh, sacred Taoist mountain in the middle of China. And, um, you know, he came from a specific uh, you know, his particular life story is very interesting. You know, he was ordained in the Taoist priesthood when he was only 16 years old, you know, um, and, and he had actually, you know, started actually practicing and studying Chinese medicine when he was like as young as four. So, you know, it was like one of these almost kind of like mythical characters where, you know, he had been adopted by an, you know, uh, an older Taoist priest who had, seen it a vision in a dream like i'm supposed to hook up with this guy and kind of adopt him and take him in and teach him from when he was a child and you know and then he'll go on and teach all these americans and these europeans and that's kind of what's happened so i i connected with this guy um he was teaching at a school in new york city of all places so it was easy to to run into him and i started studying at his school and um and that was cool. You know, it, that was because he wasn't teaching just the TCM traditional Chinese medicine. He made, he made it very clear that what he was teaching had its roots in stuff that was, you know, a couple thousand years older. So that was nice because, um, well, cause it exposes you to something completely different, right. You know, uh, and he, you know, he would teach in a, you know, from a very spiritual place. Um, 
you know, deeply, deeply philosophical. So it just opened up the doors. Um, and of course, you know, it was an enormous influence on, on, you know, what I, you know, the relationship that I ended up forming with the medicine. Yeah. Now, when you talk about the, the binds of trauma and helping release that, was that something that, that you learned through that? Or is that something you incorporated into your own practice? Well, I definitely learned it, uh, through, you know, through this, um, through a lot of these Taoist teachings, because we were learning, some, it's, you know, sometimes, again, very specific techniques to assist someone with that sort of thing. Uh, again, you know, trauma, the trauma stuff gets a little lost in the modern teachings, you know, um, it, they don't, you know, they don't really get so much into it. You know, in other words, like, you know, you think of like acupuncture practice, you know, like modern day acupuncture, you know, great for sports medicine and, you know, okay, good, you know, cool for migraines and let's work with digestion. But trauma stuff doesn't really come up in, you know, um, modern acupuncture teachings so much. So he was, but he was teaching us specific protocols at times that could be used for trauma work specifically. And, um, and that was a really, really interesting track. And so for example, there is a, uh, treatment, an acupuncture protocol called the 13 ghost points. And sometimes it's called the 13 and you can Google this, right? You know, um, the 13 ghost points of Sun Simao and Sun Simao was a famous, one of the most famous, uh, Chinese medicine practitioners, you know, from antiquity, um, you know, exactly when he lived and, and had his career escapes me at the moment, but it was, it was, it was a while back. No, I'm, we're not talking 3000 years ago, more like 1500, between 1500 and 2000 years, something around that time. Uh, but he was one of the kind of, um, he was really, you know, just one of the biggest, uh, Chinese medicine practitioners of, you know, of all time. There's a, a few of them that kind of just reign supreme, you know, whose works are still very much studied and valued and everything like that. So Sun Simao, and he may not have invented the ghost point treatments. It may have been something that was handed down to him at, you know, when he was studying, it may have been something that was handed down to him from shamanic times, you know, that, you know, even like, you know, uh, you know, prehistoric stuff It may have just been something that had, had existed. And, but he took it and he kind of developed it and then it became something uh, associated with his name. So the 13 ghost points of Sun Simao, what they essentially are, are 13 acupuncture points that exist everywhere from the crown of the head, all the way to the, the feet that uh, historically, traditionally would be called upon to help a person work through varying stages of demonic possession. Okay. Now that's not something that we deal with here in modern medicine and stuff like that. But in old times, um, that was a very real thing. So they would talk about like, if a person had, you know, been in a way like invaded by a ghost, you know, the word, the Chinese word for ghost was a uh, gui, right? Um, so, you know, 
uh, having a, a guay. And, and when you look at the kind of the traditional teachings of when you're learning the ghost points, what happens? And you can look at these things and go, wow, like it's describing different stages of mental illness, right? In other words, it looks very similar. The symptoms look very similar to things like what we today think of as like schizophrenia or PTSD, right? Or bipolar or manic depression, right? And the things that the, the, the varying signs and symptoms that go along with that, you know, uh, mood disorders or, or, you know, insomnia, right. Or, or different manifestations of language, you know, or, you know, uh, you know, if a person is in one aspect of their personality and then they, they shift to another one and, you know, things like schizophrenia and those presentations. But what, one of the things that we were using them for, and that I got a chance to, to work with up close, this was at a clinic up in uh, Massachusetts when I was, you know, based up in North was, um, using these ghost points and similar similar treatments to help really unhook trauma. And that was like the modern correlation for what to do with these ghost points. You know, it's some, you know, sometimes like, yeah, you know, it, it gets, the lines get very blurry. Someone comes in and, you know, they're describing something and, and they're, they're dealing with some kind of trauma, but in the context of ghost points, you'd say, well, you know, yeah, they, they caught a ghost you know, a ghost got in there somehow, you know, or, you know, if you think about a ghost, a ghost gets into us and it kind of starts to take up residence, right? And, and there are different phases of ghost infestation and the way that it can start to shift our personality or it begins to uh, alter our own self-image, how we see ourselves how we, how we are engaging with the world, with people, you know, like, so, you know, loved ones might say, you know, in the past couple of months, I've noticed that so-and-so has changed. They, they, you know, they they, they seem different now, right? The same way trauma can begin to change our personality, you know, when, you know, in other words, like, you know, the, these things come in and they absolutely have an effect on, um, our personality on our psychology. And so, uh, ghost points, we, you know, we were using, you know, use those a lot, uh, in terms of trauma and, it, you know, unconventional, sure, but it can be a very, very, very effective treatment. You know, it's definitely a little bit more on the esoteric side, but the ghost points, very, very powerful. I've had them done on me and I've worked, uh, you know, uh, you know, with people, you know, um, giving them to people as well. Powerful stuff. Powerful. I mean, wow. As you spoke, it so resonated with me. And one of the things that popped in my head was, which I've talked again about on the show over the past five years, but I had been involved, one of my many traumas in my first 22 years of life, uh, it been involved in two bank robberies. And one, um, a gun was held to my head. My coworker was stabbed three times with a hunting knife. They didn't catch the assailants, and then they returned three months later to rob our main office where I had just moved. Only this time, the man who had held the gun to my head pulled the trigger and murdered my coworker. So, where I'm going to with this is when I discovered 
uh, I had gotten a hold of the prison system because I kept tabs on him to check him out every now and then, make sure he was still in prison. Yeah. And I couldn't find him in the system. And so I got a hold of the prison and they told me, oh, yeah, he died two weeks ago of natural causes in a cell. And as as they told me those words, I felt a darkness like pass through my body and out yeah. the window. Right. And it, and as you spoke, I was like, oh, my God, that was like the it, it was almost like this dark ghost that I had been carrying around in my body you know, not necessarily him, but just the impact of his choices and how it impacted my life and the weight that I carry. And I literally felt a weight lift from my being. Now, you know, I fell to my knees and cried and, you know, just released him in love and forgiveness. But that was from my own journey. But wow, really powerful and resonated with me. Thanks for that. Oh, yeah. And that's, quite a um experience and i'm obviously sorry about you know i know it you know a long time ago but you know anytime that you know i mean my my teacher used to say you know there's no hierarchy to trauma you know in other words like you know um the effect can be the same you know you, you know these these really 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 horrible and and uh, crazy life experiences, you know, but again, like the way that they get in the nature of them is to, you know, they get in and they, they hook into us like a ghost. And so, you know, uh, that was very moving when you said like, you know, you found out about his passing and then it was, you know, almost like a piece of his ghost that had been hanging on with, you, you know, just was now free to, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. You know, oh, uh, that's what I said. As you spoke, like that's what just came to me. And and it was almost like I got this message from him that said, you're free now. Like, yeah. like it was like him letting me go as well as me letting him go. This this right. uh, this earthly connection we had had um through that, through those two events, um, and the subsequent trials and so forth. So um, yeah, really, really powerful, Adam. Thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. It's, it can be rough stuff, you know, um, which is why it's good to be able to discuss it and it's good to bring light to it. I mean, that's essentially all we can do, you know, um, ghosts, they live in a very dark, you know, almost, you know, say like a yin, you know, yin and yang, right. You know, yang being very, you know, light filled yin can be a very dark place and so ghosts that's kind of where they have their home and so as you know but as you said you know the idea of you know you letting his ghost go ghost letting you go um to return to that place of light again you know to make that transition from this very darkened yin kind of environment to a place, you know, that is filled uh, with light and with love and with freedom. Because the thing about ghosts that we learned in doing this work is that um, the key is they we can't move on. They the the nature of ghosts is that they they are stuck. They can't move on. They don't want to move on. You know, it's very much like you see portrayed sometimes in movies here, like The Sixth Sense, 
or you know these movies that that portray these ghosts that they're here and they're still hanging around these realms because uh they've got some unfinished business you know and 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 something happened something was maybe taken from them at the moment of death very fast or you know something just happened and so it's the same thing that happens with our trauma here is that you know a lot of this stuff is you know healing is very much based on the resolution of what is unfinished and what is unresolved. And that can be as simple as a physical ailment that we're trying to treat or effectively cure. You know, I've, you know, you know, some, some, you know, lifelong physical affliction that's been with us or, you know, (laughs) getting over a case of COVID, right. Or something like that, you know, or something much deeper, but, Usually, healing is it is a process and a journey of going from something that is unfinished and unresolved by you know where we are not free to making that move to yeah. now we are free and something has been resolved. And because of that, now we are free to go on our way. Our souls are free to go on our way. And if that, you know, and, and for ghosts, literally, that usually means leaving this earthly realm and just continuing on their journey. And for those of us, though, that are here in, you know, human bodies and dealing with something like trauma, it's resolving that. And then our hearts can now, and our spirits can be free to now enjoy the rest of our earthly life, you know, before we have to go on and, and keep traveling. Yes. Oh gosh. You're so speaking to me. You cheered me up for just a second too, because very, very powerful truths and everything you're speaking. Um, again, bringing back to me for just a second <laughs> because I resonate with it. Um, so I had done all this trauma healing work, right. From these horrible traumas throughout my, my childhood and early years. And life was seemed to be going along just great moved to Hilton Head Island life is wonderful I feel so healed and wonderful within months of moving into this house I started to say I feel poisoned I feel poisoned you know when you talked about your the tongue earlier look at the tongue I would wake up every morning why is my tongue yellow why am I so sick what is going on going to doctors and specialists and nobody could figure out what was going on even though like you said I was like something is wrong with me like I cannot tell you other than I feel poisoned Got to a nutritionist who said, Terry, I think you might have some mold toxicity going on. You should check your house. And I was like, our house? It's a beautifully rehabbed house. It's gorgeous. Why did they rehab it? I was like, oh, oh my gosh. So we did testing on the house, high levels of aspergillus, did testing on my body, high levels of ochratoxin A and citronin, which comes from aspergillus. So I went on this now coming on two-year physical journey. And it was like what Mm -hmm. I needed to finally, finally face the last of those traumas that I hadn't processed, the last of those things. So it was like the universe, God, however you look at it, took me to that next level. Like, all right, you've done all this healing work and we still have some more to do. And so to me, I looked at it as such a gift because I was able to do even more healing work, not just to my physical body, but then on that trauma level. So again, what you're talking about is so resonating with me. Thank you. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, it makes me think like, you know, this idea of things that linger, right? Mold, you know, and 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 it can be stubborn, you know, and it, and, you know it, it lingers, it hangs around, you know, and mold is, you know, it's a very yin type of pathology, you know it it thrives off of dampness and in dark places. And, you know, in other words, like, you know, you think of, you know, um, you know, these the certain whatever substances and, and, you know, just aspects of life, you know, uh, you know, but they've got this lingering uh, component to it. And, and yeah, sometimes and like, yeah, they're, and they, they show up in our lives and they're calling us to go sometimes deeper. You know, like, you know, it's kind of like, all right, you know, okay. You know, there's, there's more work to do. Yes. And, and we, that's, we don't get off the hook sometimes. I know. <laughs> I was like, I'm in beautiful Hilton Head Island dream come true. And wait, what? I'm so, so sick. Like, like deathly ill here. What is happening? Good news. Just to share for everybody. Two weeks ago, I got uh, my mycotoxin report back, uh, our third round, and all the mycotoxins are back in the normal range. So all the detoxing work, all the all the hard, hard work I've done on just a physical soul, you know, the whole holistic level uh, has paid Congratulations. off. Thanks. Thanks. And it included acupuncture. I mean, that was part of, I I did, I brought in so many from sound bowls and sound healing and, and harmonic eggs. And I mean, I did so much healing work. Um, But so yeah, the the gift of acupuncture and has been wonderful and herbal, herbal medicine. So yeah. With these things, sometimes we have to be prepared to throw the kitchen sink at it. You know, we have to be prepared to go outside the box. We have to be prepared to, you know, attack it conventionally unconventionally from the left from the right from up from down um you know it it is you know we encounter these situations they are not times to be closed-minded as to how we you know want to approach something as to how we maybe feel called to do it so um kudos to you that's wonderful you know you you resolved you know what was outstanding you know like in other words put a check next to it now that is that is that is finished business yes and um yeah it's a good it's a good thing right right well oh my gosh this has been such a gift to talk to you today i know you're new to the to the low country area and um so how do how do folks connect with you how do they reach out to you um drop me an email probably the most reliable way you know um, I'll, you know, I'll read it all. I'll respond. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to put that disclaimer there. Like, you know, I received so many emails these days that, uh, you know, you know, I'll have my assistant look at the most important right. ones. And we'll decide which ones to get back to No, No, I, you know, um, no, I'd love to hear from anybody that feels inclined or inspired to reach out. Um, and, uh, you know, so yeah, my email and that's, um, at my name, Adam Sharon. A-D-A-M-S-H-A-R-O-N and the number 00901 at gmail.com. So Adam Sharon 00901 at Gmail. Um yeah, that's it. Pretty straightforward. I'm <laughs> pretty under the radar awesome. with a lot of this stuff these days. So, you know, uh, hopefully not making it too difficult to be found. Um, 
but yeah, that would be fine. It would be good. It would be good to hear from anyone that feels like they want to get in touch. Sure. All right. Any final thoughts to share? Anything you wanted to touch upon that we didn't have a chance to? <clears throat> the healing dialogue, right? Like this kind of a conversation, you know, any kind of a conversation that has that has health and that has healing and that has an ever expanding and ever deeper understanding of wellness at its core is just one that I always just want to encourage people to keep having, you know, it's a crazy world, you know, we can't always, you know, there's so much that we're not in control of, you know, um, and, but th this is something that we can all do for ourselves. Some might say that um, this is the work here that we're constantly being called to do for ourselves, you know, to, you know, deeper our sense of self awareness as it relates to our own healing, you know, and our own health and wellness journeys and stuff like that. But this is really what, um, you know, it's what, it's one of the ways that the, it keeps the light kind of flowing around and bouncing back and forth off, you know, each other. And so, yeah, that's just, you know, I just, that's, it's the, it's, you know, it's my favorite conversation to have, you know? Yeah. Well, you and I so. chatted before we hit record and said so many of our conversations are, you know, eventually end up in about healing or, or they, they come in about healing. And I think once you step onto that healing journey and, and you're just radiate, you're right. You're just, you just radiate that light of, um, of healing and, uh, pulls others in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for gosh, the gift that you've given me the audience and sharing your wisdom. Sure. And thank you. It was a pleasure. And I'm really, really glad that we had a chance to do this. Awesome. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the Academy terrywellbrock.com for the courses but if you go to my website terrywellbrock.com you can sign up for my monthly hope for healing newsletter which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for uh, again heal thanks for again being here and being a part of this healing space i very much appreciate you all right Bye-bye.